Hi, I'm Bill Arnold. Thank you for listening to this podcast. There are many more podcasts available at MyFaithRadio.com. Your support makes this possible. Thank you. And a warm welcome to the afternoon show. I'm Bill Arnold, and today I've got my friend and counselor and author and professor Todd Mulliken with me in studio. And I told Todd it's going to be a smorgasbord day where we're going to fire at Todd a whole number of topics that we have to look at. And, uh, and if you have any questions or comments, let me know what they are. Text line is always open, especially when I have Todd on, 877-933-2484. Again, Todd has a practice right here in Edina, Minnesota, and he's a counselor, author, and speaker on marriage and families. Hello, Todd. Good afternoon, sir. Yeah, thank you. All right. So, first of all, let's jump to Valentine's Day, which happened uh, this week. And I heard statistic uh, that if you uh, had difficulty on Valentine's Day, it was one of those times when couples either are growing closer or apart, but it's also a day after is one of the days when a lot of divorces are instigated. That's interesting. Wow. Eh, I thought you'd say, wow. That's... Well, you're either growing apart or you're or you're growing closer, and if your expectations weren't met, and maybe they weren't met over the course of 10 years or 15 years, you'd wake up the day after and go, that's it. Yeah. It probably was sitting there quite a while, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, the thoughts, the feelings, the... <clears throat> disappointments, the frustration, and yeah, I think it's just a good uh, wake-up call for all of us mm-hmm. in marriage, don't you think, to, to be thinking about how are we coming toward, and because otherwise these big uh, holidays end up carrying a lot of weight to them, mm-hmm. and and that's why so much of what I try to talk about with couples is just regular rhythms, regular volleys, you know, that are buoys that are there, so we have an opportunity to be at our best in Jesus. Because um, when we get away from those, and then we're not doing very well, it's hard to create those. And then when we aren't doing well for a while, and then we have a transactional Valentine's date, it feels like sometimes a final straw for folks. Mm-hmm. Because the re- resentment banks have been slowly building. And yeah, and that's hard. Yeah. yeah. So, but if the goal or the hope is that I'm noticed... I'm loved, I'm cared for, I'm cherished. Um, you make arrangements, you plan, you spend time. Oh, it's so yeah, good. The list goes on, right? Yes. And if those don't get met over the course of years, maybe, maybe you wake up the next day going, all right, I'm not I'm not happy. Yeah, and it, I know it sounds a bit stereotypical, but I really think, you know, on our 50% for us guys, it is about playing more offense. You know, it is about being more on the pursuit and looking for her. In our own unique way, not necessarily with the way the books say, but just in the own in our own way than how God has made us. But how am I noticing my wife today, uh, and how am I thinking about her from an empathetic perspective? Uh, and I think what happens to a lot of men is they feel like they're disappointed. You know, they aren't doing it enough right, and instead of just having empathy for why their wife might not feel like, why, why they feel like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, we want to defend and get, because we're frustrated that, God, we're working hard or we're under a lot of stress and 
trying to be mm-hmm. trying to do the right thing. We're even going to counseling. I'm just trying, and mm-hmm. and I'm I don't feel very good about myself, and and now I'm feeling like I'm not measuring up to her. So I think you know both people in in the couple are go through their own things. And again, in a perfect world, which you don't live in, we would just let each other know what we're going through versus take it out on each other. Mm-hmm. Todd Mulliken is my guest. And we're going to talk about a number of things today. I've got a list here. It's kind of a smorgasbord Friday with Todd Mulliken. So I'm looking forward to this, but I'm curious. I'd love to get about a five-listener survey because that would break the tie. Mm-hmm. If we had five it responses would. over Valentine's Day this year, did you grow a little closer or did it create a little bit more apart? Is that a good way of phrasing it, Todd? Yeah, did, yeah, I love the way you put that. Are we, you know, did that time together help us come together more, or did it create more distance for us? Is it, another yeah. way of saying it would be expectations were met, expectations weren't met. Sure, um, and that has to be that has to be made clear. In all fairness, right? It does. If they were never spoken and then they were unmet, is that fair? No, I didn't think so. No, well, because then. Yeah, then we're playing passive and, and gotcha, mm-hmm. you know. And, uh, yeah, and so both people need to be outwardly toward each other with that in their own unique style, right? Some people are naturally very passive. Some people are naturally very communicative. How do we accept that difference but still come towards each other? There's ways that passive people can come towards their spouse, male mm-hmm. or female. Mm-hmm. So I'm curious, uh, we'll do only five the first five texts that come in, and we'll come up with a conclusion. Uh, so did you grow a little closer or move a little further apart based on what you had hoped Valentine's Day would be this year? And so I'm curious, text the word um, a little closer or apart. 877-933-2484. First one in already, Todd, as we grew a little closer. Nice. I like the trend, don't you? <laughs> we are good. Yeah. So does your phone ring a little bit more after Valentine's Day, or is it just yeah, always ringing? Great. <laughs> you know, since 2019, it's always been ringing. Okay. Yeah. Good. Since, that's good. Yeah. I mean, but, you know, through the 30 years, it's always been ringing, but then, then the pandemic and right before and all the things going on in the world made it louder. Yeah. yeah. Well, we had a great conversation a couple of times ago on the different kinds of behaviors, mm. uh, passive and passive-aggressive, assertive and aggressive kind of thing. So maybe we could discuss a little more about what it is like in a marriage uh, with one who is more aggressive and one who is more passive? Or what happens when they're alike? <laughs> That's a, a big question. Yeah, it is. Can we first say, like, I think when I see couples that are very different, Bill, like one's assertive, aggressive, the other one's passive, more passive, aggressive, you know, they're on no sides of the fences. They really think, like, their marriage is in big trouble because they're different. And... I try to reassure them that that's not necessarily the case, that you can have the same kind of nature about you. Like you can have two very direct people together, and the good news there is they're both full of the truth. Uh, The bad news is sometimes they want to be right. And so when you have two people that want to be right together, that creates as many complications as when you're very different. And if you have two people that are very passive, the good news is there is a lot of grace in the home and maybe you know, seeking to honor the rights of the other by not addressing hard things. Um, but then the hard time, the hard part is, is when two people in their own mind passively are addressing hard things and never talk about it. 
and they never make a decision to go to counseling. So there's good news and bad news with all three styles. Does that make sense? Two passive people together, two aggressive people together, one of each. The one of each couple, I think I see a fair amount. And the good news there is when they're accepting that difference and using the strengths of the assertive person to kind of speak into things and using the strengths of the passive person to want to have harmony. Uh, the hard parts is when the judgy stuff of the difference. The passive person tends to feel like their assertive spouse is way too aggressive and uh, is too hard on me and is just talking about difficult things, whereas probably the truth is they do talk about difficult things, but they also don't talk about difficult things and also talk about good things. Mm -hmm. So the passive person tends to keep score about just the conflicts and then hold it against versus like, no, that's my spouse's way of communicating and they're direct and we need to be direct and I don't have to look very far in the Gospels to see that Jesus was that. Mm -hmm. And as problematic is when is how this, the direct person sees the indirect person. In, the direct person sees the indirect person as not opening up to me, like being too quiet or holding stuff against me. And sometimes that is true, but sometimes that's the same way that they're dealing with their stress. They deal with their stress internally and have these talks within themselves because they've never really learned how to communicate outwardly. But the direct person needs to be able to accept that difference versus hold it against them. So a lot of times both people feel like the other person is intentionally doing something to them. And most of the time we're not intentionally trying to say, what I'd like to do today is hurt you. I can't wait. But we're hurt by different things and then we take it out on each other. So how do we accept that difference? And if I'm more passive, which I am a little bit, I, I need to be more accepting of my spouse's uh, assertive style. And see, that's the way that she communicates, and that's the way God has taught her to speak outwardly about life. And how do I embrace the strength of that versus, say, gotcha on that bad part? And how does a direct person look at the passive person with God's eyes and say, like, yeah, she or he is, they shut down, they freeze under stress. They just freeze. Mm -hmm. And sometimes even fawn, they just want... I mean, I've had tons of people in my office where the passive person says to the aggressive person, what, 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 what do you think? Or what should we do? <laughs> what should we do? And without getting too stereotypical, if it's a passive guy saying to the assertive woman, what do you want? What, what do you think we should do, honey? And she will say what to do. And then it's kind of frustrated that he never says what, what we should do. So he's always kind of deferring. And while he's deferring, he's not that happy if she says something he doesn't want to hear. <laughs> so it's kind of an unintentional setup. He's not meaning to set her up, but he's, he's holding that against. Does that make sense? So I really work with couples on be careful not to hold against, be careful not to make assumptions of intentions, clarify it as best as we can. Uh, and that can really keep us more toward each other. What does assumption of intentions mean? So uh, my spouse says something to me that was difficult to hear. Uh, I might assume, like, you know, she's been thinking about that for a while. She's just, just been waiting. Or, you know, I wonder what other she, other stuff she's got on me, and I don't think she's for me. Oh. Right? And so I go go there in my mind, and I store it. And, you know, the father of lies comes and sprinkles a little stuff on there, and my family of origin stuff will enter in. Uh, and then I'm stuck. And so can I reframe that and 
Now, I don't want to say assume the best from a naive, naive place. I'm going to assume that uh, she wasn't trying to hurt me, and I'm going to clarify with her. Here's where, here's where I went with what you said. Uh, help me with that. Mm-hmm. You know, it doesn't mean we're talking like therapists to each other, but we're trying to be more. You know, assume the. I'm going to assume that I trust what your intention was there. You were frustrated, and let's just talk about that. Because I went too far with that. And that's what happens when we, when we get hurt. We usually go too far with it. Not always. Mm-hmm. Again, if we're in a s- severely abusive situation, we need to have walls and big, big boundaries. But if we're in kind of the garden variety, one's personal to assertive, one personal to passive, and that gets, keeps growing, we, we got to clarify our intentions and not hold against with false assumptions. Mm-hmm. Well, Todd, my short survey produced we got? a lot of closeness. Really? Which I love. Yeah, my listeners, they, they love they love each other. There's some closeness. Oh, it's maybe, so good Maybe to hear. some of the ones that moved apart or felt apart were reluctant to write. But maybe. That's, yeah, I get that. Um, but close, 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 close. Um, and a couple said, you know, we don't need it. We have this warm companionship all the mm. time, which is lovely. Mm. And... Another said, uh, "Neither we're simply close. We're in. We are intentional with our relationship." Oh, that's a Isn't good that word. Lovely? That's a good word. Intentional. Oh, yes. that's a powerful word. Yes, yes. We'll come back, and Todd will explain exactly what that means. Todd Mulliken is my guest, and if you have a question or comment, you can text it over. Did you grow a little bit closer uh, this week with Valentine's Day, or a little bit apart? Were expectations met or unmet? I'm curious. Uh, of course, you will be anonymous if you write in eight seven seven nine three three two four eight four. If you'd like to know more about what it means to begin a relationship with Christ or to chat with someone about it, just text the word FAITH to 41224. Welcome to the show. If you just joined us, Todd Mulliken is my guest. I'm calling this Smorgasbord Friday with Todd, which means uh, we can cover just about anything, and so far we are. <laughs> and so one of the questions I asked Todd was about in, intentional of our relationship, about our relationship. I'd love for you to say more. You, you, you lit up when you heard that word intentional. Yeah, what you, does that mean to you? Well, you said one of the couples said that, you know, in, in the survey. They were, were really being intentional about rela- our relationship, and that's just... That's a way to come towards with transformative moves. You know, it's a, when I hear intentional, I don't hear scorekeeping. I don't hear holding against. I don't hear read this book so you become a better human for me. You know, I, I hear like we're, we're working on our side of the street and we're coming towards. Mm-hmm. Maybe I'm making a leap with that, but I don't think so. Intentionality is always about, you know, assertiveness, vulnerability, uh, building trust, my own accountability, my stuff, vulnerability, and we are being intentional or mindful about that. We just hear that in my in my circles a lot clinically. Intentionality matters. My, I always say one of the phrases I use a lot now is my our mindset towards the other really matters. What's my mindset towards that that other person? How am I seeing them? Mm-hmm. Am I seeing them as God sees them? You know. So th- I, it feels like that couple is doing well because they're being intentional about it. They're, right. they're prioritizing it. All right, here's a mindset question. A couple in your, in your office, 
and the woman says something, and the man rolls his eyes. That's trouble, isn't it? Yeah, it's that. Almost contempt, right? Yeah, it's that passive-aggressive. But, remember, you know, I, one of the takeaways from our talk on passive-aggressive for me, even though you teach on is like, it's the passive, it's a passive way of being aggressive. <laughs> so it's aggressive, but it's just that passive way of doing it. You, you mean know? the eye-rolling? Yeah. Yeah. Right. You know, and it's... It's, it's kind of condescending, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it can be it's like patronizing. You don't, your comment doesn't matter. Yeah. You or, or there you kidding. go again. Oh, yeah. There you go again. <laughs> <laughs> and when you've known the other person for five years, 50 years, you kind of know what's coming, and it can really get like frustrating. That's why if your mindset, not 24-7, but if, it, if we're intentional about our mindset and seeing the other as God sees them, it sure helps. You know, go, well, I wonder, so ideally, and it gets in my, my assumption thing that mm-hmm. I talked about earlier, ideally, oh, whoa, whoa, there they go. Oh, I'm, I'm feeling that. Well, how do I stop that a little bit and just, yeah, you know, I, I, I was going to roll my eyes, but help me with that yeah. a little bit. You know, just have my own accountability not to go to the Pharisee card right away, whoop, you know, but rather like, what do you got? Here's where I went with that, but clear it up for me and sometimes it helps sometimes it doesn't yeah but if, if somebody said well here you go again wouldn't wouldn't you say well something has never been dealt with right yeah a person's never been heard yes or understood or felt empathy and it's being brought up again and then the guy goes oh here we go again yeah or maybe the woman says oh here we go again yeah i mean equal opportunity Kind of guy. Correct. Who, yeah, we're talking about. It is. It, it's. It is one of the hardest things, and that's why when we don't have buoys, when we don't have rhythms, we are really vulnerable to this kind of. What What are buoys? You know, buoys. You know, some of the things I talk about, like with couples, with this reset after Valentine's Day. So every, usually, it's interesting you talk about Valentine's Day because usually do when I work with couples, we talk about a reset after Valentine's Day, not because we got to reset everything, but you know, just over the new year and have our first big yay time together. It doesn't go well. Well, let's reset some things and mm-hmm. it'll start with creating some buoys of always know, always know when your next date is and your next getaway is. Always know that. And the next date might, you know, if you got, you know, four kids around all over the place and you have not a big bullpen of babysitters, the next date might be three weeks out. Mm-hmm. Uh, the next, get, next getaway might be eight months out. What if the last getaway was four years ago? Yeah. And the well, last date was two years ago. Then know when your next one is, right? Mm-hmm. So we can either kind of play what it could have should have ball, right? And look in the rearview mirror and be defined by what happened to us. Or we can start being defined by where we're going, right? Because that's what usually happens when we don't have dates, as you said, beautifully for a few years. We don't this for a few years. Why would we even want to start having a buoy? But the only way we get over the past is create a different pattern. It doesn't happen automatically, but it, it starts a little bit with, are we for that? Are we for creating some buoys that give us the best chance to not be defined by our past? You know, because otherwise we just talk about our past versus learn from our past by talking about it, but then making some intentional buoys of dates, getaways, you know, that intentional time of connecting. You can talk about the weather. You can talk about something you're really frustrated with. You can talk about a happy thing that happened with the kids, but just looking for those touch points, you know, having fun with it, finding some things you like to do together, uh, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Todd, because it is uh, Smorgasbord Friday with Todd, Todd Mulliken, uh, here's a question that's come in. We'll, d- we'll address this right now. You yeah, ready? Sure. All right. My mom is recently retired and expects me to allow her to care for my young kids, including taking them places by herself. 
She has numerous symptoms of ADHD that interfere significantly with her life. And I don't fully trust her with my kids. I don't want to hurt her, but I also don't want to keep making excuses about why I don't agree to her persistent requests. How should I proceed? Wow, wonderful question. ADHD is something we're becoming more and more familiar with. It's really, of of all the main illnesses, Bill, anxiety, depression, uh, PTSD, bipolar, all those main things, borderline narcissism, of all the main ones, ADHD is the one we miss the most in adults. Right? We underdiagnose it in adults. And wait for it, we really underdiagnose it still with females. And so when somebody does have it and they are a female, they're not used to having it. And always know, like, if you're caring for somebody with a mental illness, the worse the mental health condition is, the less they think they have that condition. So first of all, I just want to really validate your caller and say that's a hard thing. Uh, the best advice I can give is not a one-off conversation, but use my phrase, you know, let let your, your mom in to what you're experiencing. Mom, here's where my mind is taking me about this. I love you. I'm for you. I know you love our kiddos to death, And but here's a couple of things I'm struggling with. How does that land for you? Okay, and mom might be really frustrated. She might shut down. She might get really, really hurt by that, and we can't manage that or control that, but at least we were honest in a very tender way. And now we have a place to continue the conversation. Uh, and sometimes the 50-yard line in their bill is going, um, you know, having a couple hours with mom with the kids, right? Mm-hmm. Just a little a little time with them uh, while I'm, you know, running an errand and have some time, you know. So we're not, you know, helicoptering it, but giving mom a little bit of time. Um, but addressing the thing that we're concerned about. Mm-hmm. You know, we got to address them as otherwise, you know, we're not intending to hurt. So if mom act, ask, acts hurt or says she's hurt, well, the best we can do is clarify, not rescue or manage, but just clarify, gal, mom, I love you. That wasn't my intent. I'm just worried about that. And, and mom, just so you know, I think like, you know, ADHD stuff is just like any other physical illness I have, mom. Like I'm, you know, I, I you know, I had a bad knee last year and, I need to get some help for it. Mm-hmm. So I don't view ADHD, mom, just so you know, as anything different than any other physical condition. And I love you. And it'd be because I see it as kind of, you kind of get impulsive sometimes or just, and I get worried about that because I love you. Yeah. So anyway, I'm not trying to say that's going to be magical and you light a candle and you're all set and sing the, say the Lord's Prayer after that. But you get to bring the Holy Spirit into that with you and have the Holy Spirit guide you to know that you love your mom, but you want to set boundaries. Mm-hmm. All right. We'll take a short break and then come back with Todd Mulliken. You can learn more about Todd at his website, toddmulliken.com. That's M-U-L-L-I-K-E-N. And if you are considering uh, a Bible study program this Lent, I've got an idea for you. You can uh, try to step away from all your distractions, and you can do this reading the Bible together with us. And you can learn more about how to better connect with God through his word and study a lot of disciplines that were practiced by Jesus himself. You can sign up for this free study, and you can do it right now as we step away for a short break. And you can do that at MyFaithRadio.com. We'll be right back with Todd Mulliken in just a minute.
It's the afternoon show with Bill Arno. Drive time, drive time. Let's get it started. Jump in your car. What's for dinner? It's the afternoon show with Bill Arno. I'm back with Todd Mulliken, and we are kind of doing a smorgasbord, Todd, which means we're going to cover a bunch of topics. If you just joined us, we started uh, with a little bit of a discussion on Valentine's Day and how sometimes expectations aren't met, and that fuels all kinds of frustrations and difficulties and problems. But we took a short survey, and it seemed that there was an overwhelming number of listeners that said, no, we grew closer together. That makes me happy. Todd's got both hands in the air right now, like with the victory. And then uh, we chatted a little bit about passive-aggressive and... uh, different kinds of relationships and how to navigate through that. And now, Todd, I'd love to move on, if I may, uh, to how to integrate our faith into our mental health struggles. Mm. You have a mental health struggle. You might even be questioning your own faith. Yeah. Yeah. And, And that's a function of some difficulty going on in the brain. Well said. Okay. Yeah. Like with the two, two most common are anxiety and depression with anxiety I, I'm worried a lot, why don't I trust God more, can be the lie that comes in. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I'm depressed, uh, you know, I have no energy, I have no motivation, uh, God feels so far away, what am I doing wrong? Right, the, the lies that come in, the, uh, the worry that comes in with anxiety, the restlessness that comes in with anxiety, the apprehension that comes in with anxiety makes it really loud, the rumination that comes in with anxiety and we spin mm-hmm. and spin and spin. With depression, the, the lack of motivation, the excessive guilt, the feelings of hopelessness, those are all things that are difficult and hard. So integrating faith is not about like a finding a solution, but it's just doing the best we can to realize that Jesus has left us with someone, you know, to to be a, our guide, to be our wise counselor, to uh, hold us in the pain, to be the comforter, uh, which doesn't mean it, it goes away, but we're held in it. Uh, when we're held, so what I believe really strongly, Bill, is one of many practices that we can do that's very basic, but I think we need to, using our word today we've talked about, we need to be really intentional about it. So maybe... A gentle challenge would be like for the next two weeks, every day, what I get to do, not what I have to do, but what I get to do is uh, slow down for a minute and do what Philippians 4, 6, and 7 talks about there, right? Where I'm bringing my requests to God uh, so that he can uh, help me with the understanding of what I'm going through. And hold me in that mm-hmm. and just rest in that and know that I am loved, even if I'm really, really scared still with anxiety, even if I'm really, really sad and have no energy and can't get out of bed with depression. I, I do know that that is true, that I am loved and I'm held uh, and that I am enough. So I think that is just a wonderful thing we get to do as Christ followers amongst many other things, but we get to integrate faith there. I think the other thing we get to do as best as we can in our own ways uh, with anxiety is to be for the other a little bit. One of the really tricky parts about mental health is like when I'm ruminating a lot, I'm very much in my own room full of mirrors, 
right? And I'm just stuck. And uh, sometimes when I can uh, move that anxious energy to be uh, helping a friend uh, on the weekend to, you know, to build something or help my friend at a church who's going through something hard or help my neighbor who's uh, having a difficult time with something. I'm not escaping what's going on. I'm integrating my, my service toward the other in Jesus to help move my energy into that, right? It's a, it's a redirect and my rumination house gets moved to a different residence for a while. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's a nice redirect because with anxiety, we do have energy. It's just ruminative and it's, and it's immobilizing and it's, and it's full of panic and heart stuff. So I think two gentle moves we can make is integrating the Holy Spirit on a regular rhythm and secondly, before the other. So with depression, in terms of being for the other, I think it's, it's really important to understand your personality style. So if I'm an introvert and I'm in a depressive episode, maybe I'm more apt to, you know, maybe get my mind on a two or three of my friends and just really pray for them for a little bit. Uh, get my mind on that one friend I haven't talked to for a while and text them and just ask, ask to, to spend some time together. Mm-hmm. If I'm extroverted, uh, maybe when I'm watching the Super Bowl and two of my friends want to um, just talk about the game, maybe I enter in the conversation and just kind of whoop, get going a little bit. So that uh, energy move a little bit uh, for the extrovert is to connect a little bit. And that energy move for the introvert is to kind of come towards somebody else a little bit or pray a little bit. So those are just a couple of moves that we can make to integrate the things we know to be true about our faith into those times. And it's really hard to do that when we're overwhelmed. Um, But it's just things we get to do along with many other, of course, you know, medicinal practices or certainly therapeutic practices um, that we can, we can add to our life. But I just think we have uh, those tools that are at our disposal uh, sometimes when an introvert's in a depressive episode too and they have some energy around reading, that can be just a gift to, uh, to read something, right? To get mm. the mind off of, mm-hmm. of what they're going through. It's not, you know, like a silver bullet. It's just a breath mm-hmm. <laughs> because depression can be so episodic and noisy, whereas anxiety tends to be a little bit more pervasive. So the other thing real quick, Bill, I think with most mental health issues, whether it is um, the depressive stuff or the anxious stuff or the, like the caller talked about, with the impulsivity or the distractibility of ADHD, whether it's the um, trauma trigger of PTSD, uh, whether it is the uh, entitlement of having mild narcissistic tendencies under stress, whether it's... You know, the fear of abandonment I'm battling if I have some borderline personality stuff. Some of it is when we do these prayer practices every day and intentional practices, it slows things down a little bit and helps us see the Holy Spirit in this with us a little bit more. Because <laughs> most of what's going on is a lot of is quick brain dysregulation in those moments Mm -hmm. and sometimes trauma induced sometimes experientially induced sometimes genetic markers induced and so a lot of mental health issues come down to those moments and doesn't mean if we do them right then we're set it just means we get to know like as we slow things down it's just you know like within athletics right when the game is going slower you're more apt to kind of maybe make uh, the best read as a linebacker, right? Make the, mm-hmm. the make the best best move. It's the same way with our spiritual life, in my opinion, as we integrate it into our mental health arenas. 
not as quick fixes, but just as nurturing, uh, transformative, gentle, generational shifts that we get to add to our stories. That's very helpful. And I think, Todd, what you said, if I heard correctly, is it's not easy. No. <laughs> yeah, and so yeah. we want to really make sure the inner critic isn't isn't saying, "Well, why didn't you, you know, why didn't you pray today?" What's you know, Satan comes in, or you know, our inner critic comes in and messes up our mind a little bit. Uh, so I do also ask us to do the best we can when we're in tough spots to watch the inner critic's voice and make sure we don't bank it. Mm-hmm. You know, we rebuke it, um, or if it's not Satan, if it's just our you know, our biology stuff, or if it's our family of origin, origin messages of shamey stuff, you know, guilt is means I did something bad so we can receive conviction from the Holy Spirit. Shame means I am bad. And I, I know that if we feel like that, you know, God's sad and God wants to hold us in that. God doesn't want us to feel like that, even though we do naturally. And he wants to hold us in that. Just mm-hmm. like I would with if one of my daughters felt really bad like they were bad, <laughs> you know, um, that would break my heart. Oh, yeah. I think God feels the same way. Mm-hmm. Very interesting. When we have mental health issues in our family and there's anxiety, depression, and we want to be present and loving and helpful, and it sounds like, Todd, what you said is helpful. You can read to them. You can show up. You can pray with them. Yeah, it can really, yeah, if, if we are walking alongside with somebody in our family that has any of those significant mental health issues, it really is much more about walking alongside versus fixing. Mm-hmm. You know, my wife said on a podcast with us um, several months ago, she said, you know, just, I don't want to feel like a project. And a lot of times people who have a mental health condition, uh, they don't want to feel like they're a project when their spouse says, well, just, you, you know, I haven't done these two things yet. What's wrong with you? Versus like, it seems like you're really struggling. Is there anything I can do? Um, I'm here. I love you. I'm for you. So I, I do think the caregiver's role is very tricky and difficult. And it, in each case is different, Bill, right? We could, if, you know, if we have untreated bipolar disorder, which is extremely chaotic and can be sometimes even dangerous with bipolar one or something very, very mild of, of an anxious condition that's just been tricky for a while. It's all on a continuum, right? But uh, the key role for the caregiver is trying not to take it on, but trying to walk alongside, meaning you know, asking gentle questions, providing support, being consistent, not overmanaging, not dismissive. And the caregiver needs to really take care of themselves too because that's a hard job, mm-hmm. right? They need to have support, either a good counselor, a wonderful friend that will walk with them around the lake and just listen to them because that's a hard job. When we're, you know, it's like we're having a family member that has a real difficult chronic physical illness. Same thing. But I do think sometimes the tricky part for the caregiver is realizing with significant mental health issues, it's not quick fixes. Mm-hmm. It's similar to physical illnesses that way. I think the more we understand that, the more we're released into like understanding that. Because the, the person who has the mental health issues, uh, they, you know, most of the time feel overwhelmed in that. And uh, quick fixes or just do these two things are very like hurtful. 
they're very they're, they're they tend to be pile-ons. Now, if I'm if my spouse is battling with something and they're crying out, it would be hell. What would you recommend I do today? You know, fine, right? <laughs> Receive the invitation, give some advice. Uh, so, I think the general takeaway there is walking alongside with good listening asking Zane can do to help, create some nice rhythms, do some serving of them, and uh, and don't get hung up with the fact like, well, I don't think they're doing their part enough. <laughs> I think, you know, they didn't do what the doctor said. And, and yes, we can talk about that. Mm-hmm. But would you say that in the second week of knee replacement surgery to your spouse? I don't know if you would. Right, so I still think sometimes with mental health issues, we we still kind of go to that place of, well, we can, you, know, you haven't figured this out. Yeah, you need to figure that out. Mm. And that's not helpful. So finding a way to be comfortable in your discomfort. Thank you. Well said. Okay. Yeah. Right. And and that's why the caregiver needs their own support too. Right. Because that's really a lot mm-hmm. to live with. So. All right. Yeah. Todd Mullican is my guest. I'm calling this smorgasbord Friday with Todd. So if you have a question for him, I've got a number of topics I'm covering with him, but if something has popped into your mind and you'd like to ask him, the text line is open 877-933-2484. Again, 877-933-2484. You can learn more about Todd at his website. Apparently he has one. <laughs> it's Todd with two Ds. Mullican, M-U-L-L-I-K-E-N. Then it says dot com, whatever that means. So toddmullican.com. I'll be right back. Oh, gosh. Faith Radio and Afternoons with Bill podcasts are available because of listener support. If you are a supporter... Thank you so much becoming a supporter today by visiting MyFaithRadio.com. Glad to be back with Todd Mulliken. And we're talking about a number of things today. We've been a little bit all over the map, which I have enjoyed, Todd. Mm. Thank you for taking on all these questions. And we also have some great questions that have come in from listeners really in the comments. Yeah. I would like to chat a little bit. We had talked earlier in the program about uh, one of the listeners had a mother with ADHD. Um, are there different types of ADHD? There really are. Yeah. And we've, uh, in 2013, when the latest... Uh, criteria came out. We call it the Diagnostic Statistical Manual. We have a new one every 10 years or so, and then five years into it, we usually have a, a revision. So uh, in the latest one in DSM-5, the fifth edition, talks about that it's all, uh, ADHD is all under one umbrella, attention deficit hyperactivity disorder, and then there are three potential types. One is predominantly impulsive hyperactive type, Another is predominantly inattentive type, which includes things like distractibility. Mm -hmm. And then the third type is combined, a combined type. So it's it's something that, uh, interesting, at least in my opinion, when it first came out, everybody was being diagnosed with it. And then it seems like other things got loud, including trauma work, and there's still a lot of great trauma work going on. But it feels to me like the last few years, certain 
awareness pieces of ADHD are coming back. We're learning more about them. And uh, I hope it's okay to kind of share, because I think one thing I've seen a lot with like young adults, Bill, or adolescents, is that if they have untreated ADHD inattentive type, academics is so challenging. I bet. And so if they're not being treated for it, school is almost uh, abrasive to them. It's like going into a place where they, it's a language they don't know and they're mm-hmm. always feeling less than. And then sometimes because of the untreated anxiety and having to read and reread and reread something in order to really integrate it and encode it into memory, uh, they develop an anxiety condition. Hmm. And then sometimes what happens is they are treated for the anxiety, <laughs> but not the ADHD. Mm-hmm. And if we don't treat the ADHD piece, then the anxiety stuff just continues to be loud. And I've seen tons of cases like that over the year, and mm. 17-year-olds in my office, 19-year-olds in my office, and, and they really have kind of an emotional development uh, of two or three years less than their actual age because of that dilemma they're in, right? Mm. So I'm not saying they avoid school. It means that you know when you hear about you know well, why are some kids getting accommodations? Well, as a professor, I have plenty of kids with ADHD that get accommodations, and it helps them feel like they've got a little more time to process it, and then it actually helps their brain learn how to start and finish something and have some confidence in it, which actually then helps them as they're rehearsing it. It helps their brain get little less busy. Mm, right? Okay. So it's beautiful because sometimes yeah. there's a pushback like, well, we're giving accommodations to everybody these days. What are we doing? And and I get that. Yeah. But in cases like this, it is really been helpful to see people manage their ADHD uh, piece. So I know anxiety, Bill, and depression are much more like, I think we accept those more, but I still think there's a fair amount of folks that think ADHD isn't really a thing. Well, how do we nurture a kid that may have ADHD? Because I look back at my grade school, and there was a kid way back when, you'd look at him and you go, well, he had ADHD. Yeah. And at 52, he was a retired millionaire. Sure, it's not always bad news. No, it's right. not bad news. Right. And sometimes it is really bad news, right? Yeah. And so the environment matters, right? The You know, what they do with the impulsive mind Right, so the best parts of the ADHD mind, the best parts of even the bipolar mind, the best parts of, you know, when we're really really anxious and you know we we're spinning and we come up with something. So it's not one size fits all, but there's going to be more cases that aren't like that one. There's more cases where most of those kids really become adolescents and really struggle, and oftentimes it's in the academic place. But to your point, what happens? is they might be the kids that really struggle, but I've seen plenty of people in their mid to late 20s all of a sudden, whoom, have a surge. And that's usually what we're noticing about brain development with ADHD. It's very a neurodevelopmental illness like autism is. So you see with ADHD, you see some progression sometimes, especially if... If there's plenty of nurture in the home, they've had some success, like maybe that 50, you know, that person mm-hmm. did, that maybe they had some success somewhere where they were impulsive and sold some stuff and got after it and, you know, could, whoo, and they all of a sudden have some success in their mid-20s and here we go, right? Um, but that, that is a real challenging time often. Uh, for, I'm just saying for the nine months out of the year, <laughs> it's a challenging time for that, especially that adolescent to young adult. Mm-hmm. A listener was wondering, Todd, what... With ADHD, have have researchers correlated this with the release of cell phone 
or the expansions of cell phone use in the U.S. I mean, they say yeah. you'll look at your cell phone 320 times a day, yeah. which means you might glance up and then glance back down and then glance up and glance down. I was trying to figure out how you do it that many times, and you might do it eight times in three minutes. You might, yeah. So we would say in general, like ADHD has had, you know, like a five to 6% lifetime prevalence. It's nine to 10 lifetime percent lifetime prevalence. So it's not like off over the charts. I would say for sure for the people that have that predisposition genetically, when they're doing that, it's a pile on, right? And it's just making that condition even louder to that, uh, to that listener's great point. Uh, and so... I would offer that I think some of the, the the doubling and tripling of occasional depressive or anxiety you know rates are sometimes due to the excessive technolog- technological issues that are going on. Most of the work I do is with social comparison. You know, the, the adolescents, young adults, adults are socially comparing themselves all the time, and and that feels like a pile on for people. So, I think there's some amazing things about technology, and there's some really problematic things about technology. Hmm. All right, Todd, let's see. Um, Just trying to read through some of the texts that are uh, racing in here. Um, Could you talk about the the caregivers in the homes of those with dementia? Mm. This is a huge, often silent population of caregivers. And it's a huge population. Oh, yeah. It's the fastest growing. You know, the centenarians, people over 100, the fastest growing population, you know, per person. And so one in two people over 85, recent research is saying will have Alzheimer's, so, which is a progressive disease piece. So anyway, I'm, you know, I'm validating completely this question. Like, it's a big thing. It's a long road. We want to have plenty of support. We want to take plenty of breaks in it. Mm-hmm. We want to know that more often than not, even with dementia, it's fairly, it's not, maybe it's not as progressive as Alzheimer's, but it's, you know, it will progress at some level. Uh, and so... But again, I think it's making sure we realize the truth about the condition and how chronic it is and um, how how we grieve a lot of times for that person mm-hmm. and the grief of, of slowly losing that person, right? Mm-hmm. And them not just, there's a lot of grief in that, a lot of pain in that. So we're recognizing that all of these feelings we have that are big feels that God understands that and we need a lot of support as we're walking alongside our yeah. Todd, Todd, I missed the boat on that question regarding cell phones. So if I can revisit that, it's not the distractibility of the cell phone. It is the radiation to the brain where trained rats were reported to forget how to finish complex mazes that they knew very well uh, when they were exposed to the radiation that uh, they did on that that training. Yeah. Yeah. I've heard that about that. And that's the thing for sure. That's, you know, who knows what we'll know 20 to 50 years from now. Uh, yeah, I, yeah. I, I, again, I don't haven't done you know, research myself on that, or I haven't seen a bunch of research. But I completely, I've heard about that research, and that is a thing. Mm-hmm. And we we'll have to continue to monitor for sure. Great point. What about when ADH drugs don't um, make a person feel better? What do you do then? Yeah, that's the tricky part. With most medication, uh, you're trading in something for another. Right? Okay, so with. And we have to decide, is it more efficacious to have that stimulant medication because they are able to feel like they, it's clear, uh, you know, is that appetite suppression that happens with ADHD meds or growth um, 
problems? Does that make it worse? What do we do with that? So we still think stimulant medication along with prayer, mindfulness, meditation, um, did I say stimulant medication? <laughs> stimulant medication with mindfulness meditation uh, along with behavioral strategies are still kind of the frontline treatments, mm-hmm. but every case is different. So it's a trade-off with, with side effects with medication. Some people swear by the stimulant. Some people have had an awful experience with stimulants. So it really depends. Mm-hmm. But you want to work with a family doctor who can refer you for at least an evaluation by a licensed psychologist and then be evaluated for the condition first. Mm-hmm. And then go from there. So Todd, a listener, thinks we should call these Todd bits on various Todd picks. <laughs> so right now I've got a patent pending out on that. <laughs> All I right. love that. That's good. <laughs> I called it Smorgasbord uh, Friday with Todd. And I think, you want I think to reframe that to what? Uh, Todd bits on various Todd picks. Let's go. Sure. That's yeah. your show. I mean, whatever you think. Yeah. Well, it's a great suggestion. I love it. Yeah. Thank you, Rizal. <laughs> All right. That's all the time we have, Todd. But I appreciate appreciate you uh, Mm. uh, being willing to cover all kinds of uh, topics on a short amount of time. Normally we pick one and we stick it with the whole hour, but today Mm. I thought, I'm kind of in that mood. (laughs) Let's uh, bounce around and see what listeners like and and see uh, if we can cover a whole bunch of topics Mm -hmm. at once. You did a masterful job of that. Thank you once again for being here. And if you would like to learn more about Todd and his services... Uh, you can reach out at his website, toddmullican.com, M-U-L-L-I-K-E-N. Thank you for um, that. And uh, we'll take a little break. We'll be back with hour two. Just a minute. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.